There we go. That one works. All right. Today is the 1st of July, which means in three days we're going to have a celebration, sometimes called the 4th of July or Independence Day. And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. 4th of July, Independence Day. Hot dogs, parades, fireworks. I have a friend who every 4th of July, her family gathers together around the table and they read aloud the Declaration of Independence. It's a cool tradition. It is. And because Independence Day, 4th of July, this is a day when many of us think back to remember our founding fathers, our founding principles, the things upon which this nation was built things which our nation today has oftentimes too conveniently forgotten. You know, if you happen to look at the uh, constitutions of the 50 states, you will find references to God, to the Almighty, in almost all of them. From our very first one, the state of Delaware, to uh, our almost last one, uh, Alaska. References to God. For example, these words from the state constitution of the very first state, Delaware, right after that part where it says, we the people of Delaware, the next sentence is this. Through divine goodness, all men have by nature the rights of worshiping and serving their creator. Then Article 1, Section 1, the very first statement after the preamble, not the second sentence, the first sentence is this. It is the duty of all men frequently to assemble together for the public worship of Almighty God. The next time you hear the phrase separation of church and state, I'm always reminded of that, that, that phrase from the movie, The Princess Bride. I think it's Inigo Montoya who says, you keep saying that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> That's the word. Or take a look at this constitution. We, the people of the state of blank, grateful to the supreme being for the blessings hitherto enjoyed and feeling our dependence on him for a continuation of those blessings. Anyone want to guess what state that is? You're absolutely right. It's Iowa. Fill that in for me. There it is. Very good. It reminds me of Revelation 2, 4 to 5, which reads, You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. But this isn't today a message about our Christian heritage or America's Christian foundation. This isn't a message to uh, scold the church as Jesus did in this passage of Revelation when he was talking to um, the church in Ephesus. And even though Jesus did say in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. Today's message isn't about obeying a commandment either. 
because today's message is about a passage of Scripture that summarizes a theme that is throughout all of Scripture that hits us not in our obedience to a religion, not in the good things that we do to try to obey a commandment like this. This passage hits us at that place where we fail, where we fall short in the everyday moments of life. When we're cussing as we're cleaning up the water in the basement, where we're doubting ourselves, where we're hurting, where we're filled with regret, and we need something more to hang on to. Today we're going to move beyond just the believing in God or the liking God, or the obeying God, the admiring God, perhaps from afar, being attracted to God, toying with God, to falling in love with God. There's a song that sings about this. It's a Christian artist down in the Nashville area. I've had a chance to meet him a couple of times. You've heard maybe a few of his songs on the radio. But the Christian radio stations don't play most of his stuff. And the reason being is because he's a storyteller. He's not a worship leader. He's a storyteller. And his stories are filled with hurt, and they don't always have happy endings. He himself has been through an incredibly painful public divorce. He grew up as a child with a stutter so bad he can barely speak. For some reason, by God's grace, the man can sing. But then when he tries to talk in between the songs, he can't do it. His name is Jason Gray, and he has this song, More Like Falling in Love. Listen to these words. He says, give me rules, I will break them. Show me lines. I will cross them. You hear the honesty in that? He says, I need more than a truth to believe. I need a truth that lives, moves, and breathes to sweep me off my feet. It's got to be more like, like falling in love than something to believe in. More like losing my heart than giving my allegiance. Jason Gray knows all too well that if our relationship with God is just a matter of holding true to the things that we believe in, we're in trouble. When the rubber hits the road day to day, he writes in this song, it's got to be more like falling in love. Give me words, he says, I'll misuse them. Obligations, he knows himself. I will misplace them because all religion ever made of me was just a sinner with a stone tied to my feet. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than religion. It's got to be like falling in love. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Not loving God because we're commanded to, but loving God because we're head over heels, hopelessly in love with God. Let's take a moment to pray, and we'll continue. Father God, I know how hard it would be to explain to someone else, why do I love my wife so much? It'd be hard to explain to somebody else, why do I love my children so much? They could understand in, in part. 
They could understand the words, but they would never share the depth of love that I have for my wife and my children. So how can I speak a love of God? Lord, I can't, but you can. So today, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak directly to the hearts of everybody here. Me too. God, go deeper. Love fuller. Reveal to us all in our own individual ways, in our own places in life, how much you love every one of us. And let us hear you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I asked a number of people this question. What caused you to fall in love? I asked men, I asked women, and I, said, I asked them specifically to talk about their, their spouse. And I said, okay, I know there's things that attracted you to them, but what was it, that sort of moment, that sort of realization that caused you to fall in love with them, head over heels, no, this is the one, what caused you to fall in love? And there were four themes that popped up, said different ways by different people, but they kept coming up over and over again. Let's talk about the first one. Captivated by beauty or by studliness. I was talking to a lady. <laughs> I mean, we would be foolish to deny that there is that attraction that we have. And that's a part of it. It's not usually the whole process. It shouldn't be the whole process, but it's part of the process. The good news is that we talk about being captivated by beauty, and we talk about falling in love with God... God is the creator and inventor of all beauty. If it's beautiful, it's because he made it that way. If it's beautiful, it's because he designed it to be a reflection of himself. And is God beautiful? Absolutely. There's a passage of scripture in Psalm 27 where it says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. God is beautiful. We've been talking a lot recently in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, uh, speaking of the wisdom of God as if she were a beautiful woman. Scripture writes, she is more profitable than silver, yields better returns than gold. She's more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire compares with her. Many of you know that song. I want you to kind of sing it in your head. If I'm not a worship leader. I'm not going to lead singing. Um, but many of you know that song, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are, what is it, Curtis? More beautiful than diamonds. Nothing I desire compares to you. Our God is beautiful. And if you're the kind of person who, when you see a sunset, when you see a waterfall, when you see the gracefulness of a doe in the forest at sunrise, when you see beauty in the fingers of a newborn child, then revel in it. It is beautiful by design, by a beautiful God. Romans 1.20 tells us, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. 
the waterfall, the sunset, the baby, the doe. Fall in love with the author of all wisdom, all beauty, all power. Fall in love with his beauty. But falling in love with God is just like falling in love with our wife or our husband. Is so much more than just beauty or even their attributes. I asked a, a second theme that came up. This one happened to come many men, actually. I, I was a little nervous about preaching this message. Falling in love, this is such a <gasps> girly message. <laughs> Guys, what makes you fall in love? Interestingly enough, most of the guys I asked said a variation of the same thing. Kind of goes back to the book of Genesis when God said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. Guy after guy that I asked said there was something about her where I could picture being with her and just her for the rest of my life. There was something about her. I knew she made me a better man. Felt like she was made for me, and they were captivated by it. I think the movie Jerry Maguire sums it up very well. In a few words, Tom Cruise says to his gal, you complete me. The good news, guys, and all of us, is there are all kinds of verses in Scripture that reveal how God himself is your you complete me love. Take a look at Psalm 16 in a couple of verses. It says, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Guys, be honest with me right now. When your wife, your woman, makes you feel this way, she is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. You love her for that, don't you? Now, we don't always feel like that. We're frail human relationships. But in those moments when she makes you feel like a million bucks, like there's nothing you can't do, like there's no mountain high enough, there's no valley wide enough, And yet scripture says this is what God is to us, to us all. Look at uh, Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Isaiah 40 goes on. It talks about God gives strength to the weary, enables you to soar on wings like eagles. I'm always reminded of that, of that movie, uh, uh, Remember the Titans. There's a character named Rev, and he's singing. He's like, on eagles, on eagles, y'all. The one who makes you feel like you're soaring like an eagle. Do you not love her for that? Or him for that? This is our God. And when we don't feel like we're soaring like an eagle, 
when we know we're broken and empty and weak. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's our God. Fall in love with that God. There's a third theme. This one came up, interestingly enough, most often when I spoke to women. That's the idea that he understood me. He listened to me. He knew me. Like nobody else. And he still wanted me. He chased after me. He wooed me. Even when he knew all everything about me, it was safe to be with him. That's when she knew he was the one. Guys, too, actually brought this up. I had one guy tell me, when did I fall in love with my wife? It's just the fact that she would have me. That's guys speak. But it's that same concept. She knew me, everything about me, and she still wanted me. The scriptures are very, very clear, abundantly clear. The whole book is about this concept of a God who knows how much you've sinned, how much you've fallen, how much you're broken, who knows how much you've fallen short, and he still wants you. Amen, them. A couple of key passages. Let's look at this one. Psalm 139. It's a big passage because it just keeps going on and on about the, about the topic. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. He knows us. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me secure. Is that not, and maybe I speak more to ladies, maybe not, but is that not the desire of the heart? To have someone who knows you, is everywhere with you, and no matter where you are, even there, his right hand will hold you secure. As I was searching the passage, is this, this uh, message, we're going to get there. I'm getting to 1 John. This is one of those inductive sermons where the key message comes, the key verse comes at the end and not the beginning. But I found this other verse, and I didn't even know it was there. It's amazing. 1 John 3, 19 to 20. We set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. The concept there 
Our hearts are condemning us. We're full of self-condemnation. You know those moments when you feel the guilt, when you feel the shame, when you feel the regret. But in God's presence, God who knows everything, we set our hearts at rest. This is the God who loves you and woos you and knows you and pursues you. But there is a fourth theme. Another way that we fall in love, and this is the one that sneaks up on you, that you don't see coming. And this is the one that the scriptures speak of actually most often. We fall in love with the ones who love us first. Men, when she adores you. Ladies, when he woos you, it awakens something. When we know the other one loves us, and then we wake up one day and just sort of realize he loves us too. We love him too. We love her too. The greatest love story in all of Hollywood history plays this out for us in one scene. I'm speaking, of course, of the film The Princess Bride. And the incomparable love between Princess Buttercup and the farm boy, Wesley. And we're going to play a scene, Lord willing, here in a moment, where a grandfather, if you haven't seen the movie, a grandfather is reading the story of the Princess Bride to his grandson. And I want you to watch this story with new eyes. Because the Bible talks about uh, the church, that's you, that's me, being like the bride of Christ. So even if you're a guy this morning, I want you to watch these scenes as if you are Princess Buttercup. And watch the awakening in her heart as she comes to understand the great love that Wesley has for her. If we can play this scene, let's do it. The Prince's Bride by S. Morgenstern, Chapter 1. Buttercup was raised on a small farm in the country of Florida. Our favorite pastimes were riding a horse and tormenting the farm boy that worked there. His name was Wesley, but she never called him that. Isn't that a wonderful beginning? Yeah, it's really good. Nothing gave Buttercup as much pleasure as ordering Wesley around. Farm boy, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. As you wish. As you wish was all he ever said to me. Farm boy, fill these with water. Please. As you wish. That day, she was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. Farm boy. Fetch me that picture. 
Hold it, hold it. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? Where's the sports? Is this a kissing? Is this a kissing book, he says. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a book about love, absolutely, and that is exactly what this book is. It's about love. Uh, it's also about sports and adventure and pirates and all kinds of stuff like that, too, but it's about love. Now, <clears throat> here's what you need to understand, Buttercup. God doesn't necessarily say those same words as you wish. Let's be honest. There are many times God does not give us what we wish. But he loves you. And when you treated him like so much dirt under your boots, farm boy, polish my saddle. I want to see myself glowing in it. He loved you. When you rejected him, he loved you. When you ran away, he chased after you. And when you were sentenced to death, he died for you. Just like Wesley, he stands loving you, waiting for you. And he promises to return for you. And this isn't just Hollywood theology I'm talking now. It's a scriptural concept. Look at Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself a farm boy. I mean, made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. That concept of death on a cross, here's what I want you to understand, Buttercup. Listen to me right now. Over and over and over in scriptures, we say things to God, and he comes back with the same answer. Over and over again. But it isn't as you wish. The phrase he says is, I died for you. God, do you love me? I died for you. God, will you take care of me? I died for you. God, will you be there with me in my hurts and sorrows? I died for you. And one day, Buttercup realized that when he said, I died for you, what he was really saying was, I love you. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to die for us as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This concept is all over scripture. 
1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's I died for you. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 that many of us know so well. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Why did he send that son? To die for us. Wesley's words, as you wish, everywhere in scripture, God's not saying as you wish, but I gave my life for you. Or to sum it all up, 1 John 4, 19, a very simple phrase, we love first. We, I mean, so we love because he first loved us. This is what I'm encouraging us all to do as we look at the scriptures here this morning. Picture yourself like Buttercup. You've said any number of things to God, some of them demeaning, some of them adoring. But hear him respond over and over to whatever you say, I died for you. And understand that what he's saying is, I love you. I want to conclude this morning's message by telling you a story. The last, my last two years of college were at Bethel University in St. Paul. And every day at Bethel there was a, a chapel. And they would often bring in guest speakers. And I have to be honest, I, I don't remember many of them. I have to be honest, I don't remember any of them. I didn't make it to all the chapels. But, save for one. I guess 22 years ago now, and I still remember one chapel speaker. His name is Brennan Manning. Those of you who know Brennan Manning, he's the author of a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And if you're a fan of the uh, Christian recording artist Rich Mullins, uh, Rich Mullin, he uh, had a band. He called it the Ragamuffin Band, and it was named after this guy's book. Brennan Manning told his own story. It wasn't a story he read in a book. It was his own life story, and I'll share it with you. What many people don't know about Brennan Manning is his real name is Richard. When he was a kid, he was known as Ricky, Ricky Manning, and he had a friend, good friend, named Roy, Roy Brennan. They did everything together growing up in Brooklyn. They got in trouble together. They ate bagels together. I don't know what you do in Brooklyn. But everything they did together. And years later, Ricky Manning would become a priest in the Catholic Church. And when you become a priest, you become a nun, you take on a new name. And he took on the name of his good friend, Roy Brennan. And thereafter being, being, was known as Brennan Manning. And that day at Bethel, 22 years ago, he told the story of the day that he doubted God's love for him. And this is what he explained. Ricky and Roy, growing up together in Brooklyn, did everything together. Joined the Marines together. Fought in the Korean War together. And one day, they were in what amounts to basically a foxhole. They were sitting there eating chocolate candy bars that had been sent from back home. And while they were sitting there, just the two of them together in this foxhole, an unseen enemy, they didn't know where he was, threw a live grenade in the ground right between them. 
In that moment, Ricky froze, but Roy didn't. He dropped the chocolate wrapper. Brennan, or rather, <laughs> Ricky, talks about remembering watching the chocolate wrapper float to the ground. Looking in Roy's eyes, who smiled at him. And then Roy threw himself over top of a grenade. The grenade exploded, killed Roy instantly. And Ricky survived. Ricky came back home to the United States not long afterwards. And he was struggling. Maybe it was PTSD. Maybe it was survivor's guilt. Maybe it didn't have a name. But he was struggling with depression. And the difficult question that he kept asking himself in that point of depression that he could not find an answer for was, does anybody love me? Whatever his life had become, he did not have an answer for that question. Does anybody love me? And he thought, maybe, maybe there was a chance my childhood friend Roy loved me. But he wasn't sure. So he went back home to Brooklyn, to the one place he and Roy had always enjoyed, Roy's mom's house. She was still living. A little lady from the Irish country with a thick brogue. And he went to her house, and they sat down in the living room. And after talking for a while, Ricky was just still tore up. It wasn't answering his need. So he turned to Roy's mom, and he said, he called her Ma. He said, Ma, did Roy love me? She said to him, the smile on her face, she said, ah, Ricky, you're such a kidder. And Ricky said, Ma, I'm not kidding. I'm serious. Roy loved me. And he said her face went from smiling to anger. And she looked at him. She said, Ricky, don't you talk that way about my son. Don't you talk that way. But that didn't answer his question. And he says, Ma, I got to know. Did Roy love me? She got up out of her chair, he says. She put a finger in his face. And she said, Jesus Christ, man! What more could he have done for you? I don't remember how the story ends. 22 years ago, and I still remember Brennan Manning on that stage screaming that. And yeah, when she screamed Jesus Christ, she, it was an epithet. But how appropriate is it? Jesus Christ, what more could he have done for you?
Do you love me, God? Let's pray. Thank you for loving me. I've been some places and I've done some things that I'm not proud of, that hurt you, that hurt the ones I loved. I've asked that question too. Do you love me? God, thank you for answering it again and again and again. Jesus' name, amen.